Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. Today's podcast is sponsored by Geotech Consulting. Geotech helps startups, small businesses, and nonprofits focus on their content creation. Your message either adds value or fills space. What is your outreach doing? Online at geotechconsulting.com. This is George with DC Entrepreneur. I'm here with Mike and Christian of Notion Theory. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate the uh, opportunity to chat. Please tell us about Notion Theory. We build and deliver uh, products for companies in just four to six weeks. Uh, it's a very clear value proposition. Uh, we do fixed cost, fixed timeline for all of our products, and the product suite ranges from web apps, mobile apps, wearables, hardware, and VR. So please tell me the story about how you met and started the company. I mean, originally we met just through college. I was looking for a, um, you know, we wanted to move off campus. We were in the dorms. Um, I, I knew a buddy that was willing to go with me to, to get an apartment. Um, and we ended up finding a four-bedroom that we liked. So the agreement was he'll bring a friend and I'll bring a friend. And, and Christian was one of those, those additionals. So that's how I met him. And which school was this? This is at uh, the Univers- University of North Carolina. Yep, Chapel Hill. And then how did both of you end up in D.C.? Uh, we met probably close to nine years ago. Um, so there's this span of a lot of things that happened. But if we were to kind of put all in, in a nutshell, uh, we kind of... Our first venture that we did was client management software for personal trainers, and it was called Thrive, T-H-R-Y-V. And there, it actually got off to a really good start. Uh, I was originally did pre-physical therapy as a profession, then went on to do a lot of um, uh, fitness training. So the the solution was kind of scratching my own itch in that everything was still kind of archaic, uh, pen and paper, writing down all your records. So the goal of the software was to try and move everything online. And in kind of building the solution, fast forward three years, we invested about you know six figures, three years of time. Um, we did a lot of great things at the beginning. We ended up securing partnerships with the American Academy of Health and Fitness, the National Association of Fitness Certifications, customers as large as uh, trainers with New York Jets. Um, but the problem was that we were selling vaporware. Uh, we were very good at selling. We didn't quite deliver on the technology itself. And this is a pretty common mistake we see in startups that we deal with is that uh, most first-time entrepreneurs, they tend to fall in love with the solution they've created rather than being passionate about the problem. And they start to focus on the wrong things. And because I was a domain expert in the space with the fitness product, um, I s- soon became kind of apathetic towards people's problems and uh, just focus on the solution and rather than you know actually talk to them and trying to understand well you know what's wrong what is the real problem it was this is a product you have to use it'll make your business better and we didn't quite realize how hard behavior change was uh, in itself and so really we ended up shutting down the business three years later and it was I would say it's um, I'll take most of the blame and say it was uh, in part uh, because of my own ignorance and uh, believing I knew what was 
was best for trainers. So it sounds like you grew from that lesson and responded to your clients. Is that an approach you use for your business? I mean, that's pretty much the startup life is you just have to keep iterating. Um, Going way back, like before (laughs) Christian's whole spiel, um, we actually didn't start this project, this original startup Thrive, um, until like four years? Three, four years after college, we had gone our separate ways, and he happened to be in the industry, and I actually happened to have a um, platform idea for the industry, so we, we reconvened to start it up. Um, but at the time, both of us were not technical. Uh, we were relying on software dev shops. Uh, we were trying to find that CTO. Um, and it was just most of the problems that we encountered then are what drove us to create Notion Theory today. So why did you both decide to focus on the technical side of things? Did you learn the technical aspects to better service your clients, or was it because it was cheaper to keep this in-house? combination of both. Uh, it was In the beginning when it started, it was less about it being more beneficial for the people we were dealing with, and it was more about ourselves because... And I think most people, we were willing to work, and we did work like you know twenty four hours a day. Um, the worst feeling is is having that idea, of trying to drive that product, um, and being on the non technical side, and having to wait for that sprint to end or that feature to be done, or a bug comes up, and now the delays even further. And um, there's kind of points in a product life cycle, I guess, where you know as the non technical people. Um, there was a little less importance at the beginning. There, there was the important piece where we had to identify the problem, find a potential customer, and then figure out what the right solution was. But then when it came time to build, you know, we were more or less waiting on that product to get it to market and really test and validate that we had a viable business. And so there was this period of just waiting and waiting for the product to be finished and to be built. And we didn't want to find ourselves in that situation again. When we were getting towards the end of Thrive, um, we had a CTO with Thrive, and uh, towards the end, uh, he had to take care of some family needs, so his, um, his, the time he could commit became far less. Mm-hmm. We were bullish uh, enough, almost stupidly, that we decided, well, if he, if he just gives us the, the code base, because we've been kind of starting at that point to try and get familiar with it, we're like, well, we'll just kind of handle things ourselves and just kind of maintain it. Because we had paying customers, um, so it wasn't that we hadn't achieved anything with the product. And uh, we had an individual. Uh, at that time, you know, talk about doing things that don't scale. We were at a $35 per month price point, and we opened up 24-7 hour uh, calling for support. So we had, a, we had this young woman call, and it was really flattering because uh, she, she didn't know anything about technology. And she bought an iPad just to use our product, okay? So she bought this, like... iPad just to use our $35 a month product. And so she calls me and I'm sitting on the phone with her three hours. Um, She couldn't figure out her password. All these things were were problematic. Um, But with the, she wasn't getting the email when she was signing up. So we went in to try and resolve that and fix that. Um, that messed something else up and she put in her payment information and somehow that fell into like this ether sphere of nothing and it kept charging her card but like we couldn't identify like 
where the ID for her card was or anything. So, uh, yeah, basically at that point, it was scary enough that we decided um, this is not going to be a profitable business model, especially with two non-technical people at the helm of this big tech product. Uh, so it was at that point we decided to shut down the company. Um, and then, you know, I was 25 and he was 26, and we decided that we had a lot of time ahead of us if you know, if we thought it was a good idea then, um, then, you know, if it's a good idea again in three, four years, we'll, we'll try then. But in the meantime, uh, it was really just trying to focus on building that skill set to kind of get us out of the rut that we were in. Yeah. And to sum it up, essentially your success is based on your execution. It's not really the idea. Um, and for us, we did fine in terms of executing and in ter- getting sales and doing the marketing um, and doing things manually when we could, but the technical execution was our weakest point, and for that reason, we didn't succeed. Let's talk about Notion Theory now. What types of services do you offer, and what is your main value proposition? So the, the main value prop is really giving entrepreneurs and companies a quick turnaround, cost-effective solution to get a product rapidly. And when, I, when we say rapidly, we mean like four to six weeks get that product into the marketplace and get it in the hands of customers to test if they have a viable business. And again, going back to the issue we had, it was a service that we wish we had around at that point in time. Um, It's kind of a, a problem on both sides where an entrepreneur has an idea and they go to a development shop and they say, hey, can you build this? And the development shop says, sure. So they, you know, scope it out for what they're asking for. Develop, uh, the, the entrepreneur wants their vision built, of course, right? Because they're so emotionally attached. They have to have all these features, which realistically they don't, they might need like two of them. And then the development shop just charges hourly line items and says, okay, here's, you know, your product for 150,000 or 300,000. Right. And we get a lot of those horror stories when they come over to us. So what we wanted to do was again, provide like a cost effective solution where a person with an idea who had some money in their savings or a couple of friends that could pull something together, could come get a product bill again, get it quickly into the market to just test if they had a viable idea and then use that to say, you know, go talk to investors or get pre-sales and continue to build the business now how are you able to guarantee your deliverable times i mean part of it is just scoping um when we first when we did our original startup we wanted you know let's say 20 features with our customers we really pushed them towards building the mvp uh in the in the truest sense and getting the core feature built out um, and just really focusing on cutting out all the extras that are necessary. So it's really focusing on the smallest solution that will deliver tangible value to the customer. So identifying the core value prop um, and just shaving literally everything we can off of that. So how else are you planning on expanding your business? Yeah, well, you uh, you got to touch a little bit today, the 3D printer, and um, I think last time we saw each other, you tried out uh, the VR headset. So app development is more or less where we started, uh, but we recently brought on some VR and hardware engineers to expand into taking kind of this scalable, repeatable process that we've built for delivering products to market and moving into other mediums such as uh, hardware with 3D printers. reason for that is with, with hardware products in particular, 
uh, one of the great things that the 3D printer does is really undercut the traditional costs associated with R&D of testing and building a hardware product. So um, now when they come to us, they can uh, we can just print a one-off, um, do any sort of finish, any sort of material, get into the market. They can play around with it. We'll come back, modify the design, print on another one. Um, but the, the turnaround time for iterating on hardware products with 3D printers is really, really incredible. And then on the VR side... I mean, the VR side, it's its still just an experiment for us. We started out with a niche, you know, apps, mobile apps for small startups, small companies. Um, and that's what we do. Um, and that's our core. But when you want to grow, you do have to do these experimentations. So right now we're just trying out, can we do a hardware offering in the same kind of uh, scheme of things? Can we do a VR offering? Um, because we feel that's an industry that's going to really grow up, so or blow up, um, and so we've you know started playing around, building out, um, building a couple things using the the more common uh, game engines. Um, so you can really just create like uh, it's almost like uh, art, right? It, it, it's a vision that you're able to communicate to people through VR. So we've been trying that out and uh, hope to offer it to our customers. Do you think there's a market in D.C. for these types of innovations? So that is something we are testing now and in the process of doing. Um, I think it's still almost too early to tell. Uh, One of the things that's obvious is that people are really, really excited about it and there's a lot of hype. Um, but even though we've had it up, uh, the majority of inquiries are still for web mobile applications. And uh, what I've come to kind of find in speaking with people about hardware and VR that are interested in maybe doing products for them is that when you consider a web or mobile application and why so many people inquire about, you know, getting that built instead, is that conceivably they they can better understand how things will work with a web mobile application because it's a medium they interact with every single day and use almost like, you know, whether they're at work or even at home on the phone, uh, you name it. But with hardware and VR, it still seems like magic to them. Uh, they, they don't quite understand uh, how it works or what it quite does yet. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to people, but again, there's this lack of ability to conceive what a product might be um, to be able to like lead it as a non-technical person. Yeah, I mean, to add to that, DC is not known for being uh, at the very, very forefront of tech, kind of like uh, San Francisco, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that there's no demand for tech uh, services or, or products. Um, I think the thing with VR is you have to kind of try it before you become a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of places like San Francisco, there's probably a higher percentage of the population there who have tried these kind of things, um, both in terms of the uh, startup you know, creators uh, and entrepreneurs, and as well as the uh, investors and, and other kind of um, organizations supporting the, the environment there. Um, they've all tried it, right? Here in DC, the, the stigma is there's more governmental type contracts, but that doesn't mean the government doesn't need a VR or a hardware kind of solution. I think it just hasn't um, grown as rapidly. How do you think the D.C. tech scene is doing compared to some of the other U.S. cities? Um, But from my experience, is it's it's not bad from all the events that I've attended and all the people I've talked to. Um, It definitely is 
compared to other cities like Raleigh, North Carolina, where I used to say it's on par, if not ahead. Um, just because you compare it to the gold standard of, of San Francisco uh, doesn't mean it's like awful. And so um, I guess from my experiences in going out to events and judging and speaking and interacting, um, one thing I've kind of noticed in terms of the tech scene, uh, I feel it is fairly developed. Uh, I feel there is, uh, I guess I don't want to call it like an air sandwich or something, but there's this very, very clear uh, divide where the companies that are doing like really well and kicking a lot of ass and are really valuable uh i rarely see those people out at events right you can assume it's because they're too busy being awesome um and more often than not the people at the events are the ones that are doing a company uh but are not quite at that like high growth level yet Uh, so i would say when we 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 actually took a, a company trip recently out to san francisco um and went out to a couple of events there, but there it seemed that there was a lot more mingling within the community between, I guess, like uh, degrees of uh, startup founders that had succeeded. So you had some that were just getting started and interested all the way up to the creme de la creme that had like raised VC funding and all of them were there in the same room interacting. And I feel in, in D.C. that's maybe a piece that's missing is there's not like necessarily a lot of this like knowledge transfer where those really successful founders are down in the you know trenches in the community really interacting with a lot of the the soon-to-be founders so talk to me about how notion theory fits into the ecosystem here in dc so uh going back to what we kind of shared before uh, you have a lot of I, I mean don't quote me on the stat because i can't remember where i saw it but i, I felt it was something that um like I think 55% of people like either have their own business or have started their own business, right? Uh, regardless of size. Uh, but it seems that being an entrepreneur is kind of the new rock star. Um, everyone has a product idea, an app idea, a web application idea. And so, again, very often they they turn to find someone technical because they're the domain expert. They have this deep industry knowledge. They have all these connections in this network, um, but they just have that one missing component that they turn to find. And this is very obvious. So, for example, there's a meetup in D.C. called Co-Founders Lab. And I, I went a couple of months ago. And you walk in, I think it's a, you do a blue sticker if you are looking for someone to join your team and a red sticker if you're looking to uh, join Uh, team. And so there were about 80 people. Um, I think like 77 had blue stickers. Everyone was looking for someone to join their team. The majority of them, if not all of them, were looking for someone technical. And only three of us in the room were actual engineers. Uh, And I think that kind of paints the picture perfectly for why Notion Theory fits in really, really well, is that um, when you are a non-technical founder trying to get your product idea built so you can get it to market, you're, you're very, very limited on options. Um, you either can teach yourself how to code, which most people don't have the time to do that to reach the, the scale of um, knowledge that they need to deliver their product. You can use a uh, third-party you know, solution, similar to ourselves, um, but the experiences with most of those that people have, again, are, are kind of what I mentioned before where, you know, you ask them what they want, they just, uh, you tell them what you want, they just give you what you ask for. And then the third option is to find a CTO, which uh, we know from experience is like such a long, arduous process. And even if you find someone that is 
a potential CTO doesn't mean you're going to strike gold on the first time. Uh, we went through a few CTOs before kind of landing on the right one, our first startup, and it can easily be, you know, six months before finding that one, starting with them, two months later you have a co-founder conflict, then that crashes and disappears, and now you're left to back at square one, right? So, again, the you see notion theory fitting in is is kind of being that stand-in CTO for non-technical people. Um, everyone on the team actually has a former startup experience, and that was really important for us in, in the hiring process because we wanted to make sure that everyone that we dealt with and interacted with, which are typically startups, uh, that we knew exactly what they, were, what they were going through, how they felt, and kind of the, the emotions that were involved so that we were able to, to better manage uh, their expectations in getting the market and also just managing the process. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's almost like counterintuitive, but we don't actually stress uh, building the product. We, I mentioned earlier that we really try to scope down into an MVP, but um, we are totally for startups, um, you know, achieving their traction without Notion Theory. And so we'll have uh, events where we teach people how to do wireframing. We'll teach people um, clickable prototypes, clickable prototypes, and, and just really push them to like get out there, get paying customers, um, and and that's actually possible without having built any software. And I would say that is a resounding comment of people that uh, that you hear from people who either have a interacted with us or b have actually gone through the process. Is that when you tell us what you want, we only give you what you need. Now, this uh, makes for some interesting conversations. Uh, you know, uh, we get some people who feel completely re-energized and refocused after the conversation, and other people, you know, say a four-letter word and say bye-bye, and we don't see them again. Uh, but for the most part, uh, we really, really do have their best interest in mind because we were in that position before. So, if a company comes to us. And we can easily see a way for them to validate their product uh, or, or their concept without building a technical solution. We will tell them how to do that and then tell them to go do that. And we will not just take their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's really putting the founder first and like people before profits. Mm-hmm. And one of our, our current customers, they did a concierge service like in person. He, he just did it himself without any software. He just used just normal texting, SMS, um, had spreadsheets, and just did it manually. And he got people using it, um, got their feedback, and this was all prior to actually sitting down and, all right, this, what do we need to build to make this into a mobile app? Cool. And I would say those are the companies we look for uh, because we uh, something interesting to know about us is we do not accept every company that wants to work with us. Um, so we are selective in who we work with, in part because the quality of our brand is in the quality of our companies. And so, for example, the, the example company that Mike brought up, those are the kind of people we look for. We do look for the tenacious, hungry, hustling founders um, that we believe will be able to take a product in their hand and actually go do something great. Because, again, with startups, most of them will die after a year to two years, right? And the thing is, is as a company, if we have a portfolio of 30 startups, uh, you know, we know the majority of them will not be alive two years later, but we don't want to guarantee that all 30 will be dead. Mm-hmm. So we do pick and choose uh, who we believe will be successful too. Yeah. I mean, just the other week we did the uh, product hunt yep. event. We brought in to speak, um, was it about four or five yeah. startups? But these were like startups with traction. They had millions in funding. They had 
exist. They had customers, um, hundreds and thousands of users, and so on. Uh, so these weren't like your traditional come up and tell us about your kind of product that um, a lot of meetup events have. Uh, but the reason we did this was because we wanted to uh, show people that to get here, the process to to, to start out, and so um, one of them one of them was a flower delivery service. And they were just telling us, harp, uh, harping on the fact that they started out, again, just doing things manually. Um, they were telling us about how on Valentine's Day there was a snow, snow, like a snowstorm or something. They were themselves, as founders, going around and delivering these flowers. <laughs> um, wow. That's dedication right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all about the hustle, and that's something we stress. Yeah. And, and it's, for Notion Theory, I think we try to be that last resort of build the product um, but we really push the community here to, to um, just get things got done get do the hustle and just try to host these events to, to communicate to everyone um, that you don't need to to build a perfect mobile app to be successful so Christian I know you lecture on lean startup methodology uh, the lean startup by Eric Rees tell me how you apply the lean startup methodology to the businesses you work with so the the goal so with lean startup uh, the goal is to whenever you have an idea the goal is to accelerate your learning about the problem you're trying to solve the customer solving it for and ultimately the solution they're willing to pay for because it doesn't matter how beautiful or innovative your product is if customers do not buy it will fail and even nonprofits have customers they have to appeal to in order to get the funding they need and I guess uh, we reason by analogy and example so um, our very own company when we started uh, Notion Theory and actually I'll go back uh, with Thrive we did everything the wrong way so we took us I think a year before we really kind of got the first version of our product um, and then from there we weren't even ready to release it because it just wasn't perfect enough yet uh, you know it wasn't pixel perfect and there were still some features we needed to add um, at that point we were making a lot of assumptions not validating those assumptions and when we were when we were kind of pivoting the product uh, we were doing it without concrete data which is really just changing your mind um, with the Lean Startup, you, you go through this kind of build, measure, learn cycle where build really stands for anything. It, it doesn't have to be just a product. And with the MVP, it's all about, again, the, the process of building the smallest solution possible that will deliver tangible value to the customer. And so when we say solution or we talk about MVP, it's the process, not the product itself. Um, so when we started Notion Theory, um, Mike and I had the idea for it in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I literally left the next day with a duffel bag and went to D.C. and couched her for the first month. And there, the MVP for us to accelerate our learning uh, was, were people even interested in the, in the service that we wanted to provide? Mm-hmm. So rather than building a product and getting a site up and getting everything in place, it was literally just go to as many meetups as you can and just talk to as many people as you can, mm-hmm. right? That was the smallest investment of resources with the greatest return on like what the data would tell us. Yeah, I mean, we had spent a year not making any money um, after shutting down Drive where we were just teaching ourselves to code, right? 
um, at that point after a year your funds kind of run a little little dry or low and <laughs> your your parents are like you know it's time for you to get a job right so we were like what how do we make money we know how to code now we're like oh we can do a software shop but we hated the software shop experience um, from what our you know what we used right so we we're like let's build a software dev shop that we like let's uh, see if people will pay for um, a slightly different model uh, instead of doing like hourly if they'll do a fixed engagement and if we can really push people to building uh, not letting the customer have complete control of I want these features you build it um, if we can push people to not make the mistakes we made and and if they're willing to to pay us to build their MVP. So Christian went to a, a city that we thought was was a, a good had a good scene and in the first two weeks, yeah. uh, just sleeping on couches got twenty thousand dollars of pre sales before ever starting the company. Sweet, there and you we go. Use that. <laughs> yeah, so we we practice what we preach, um, and I know we got a little bit off topic there. Really. The, the company came out of like poverty. Uh, we had no money. Uh, Mike and I were 26, 27 years old. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment. We had bunk beds at 26 and 27 years old. Uh, I'll repeat that. Um, and for, again, the better part of eight months, we had just been teaching ourselves how to program and code, uh, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. We just locked ourselves in a room. And... It got to the point, uh, we actually did like an intermediate or an intermediary startup. It was like, it was called Gamefolio. It was Pinterest for gamers because we, uh, you know, we had this new skill set. We were like, let's do something fun. But we started building it and it was a complete like B2C play, right? Uh, Just business to consumer. And I remember just sitting there thinking with him and, you know, we could barely afford to pay rent. I was just like, shit, dude, we need to make some money. Like we can't. We can't be living 26 and 27 in bunk beds together doing this forever. So Notion Theory is more or less kind of like designed and created out of this poverty more or less where we just we, like we just needed to make money or we like weren't going to survive the next couple of months. Um, and again, like Mike was saying uh, before, we, we had this development skill set and we were trying to understand, okay, well, how, how do we apply this and make money from it? The obvious thing that comes to mind is like consulting more or less, right, with the development shop. But we had started in entrepreneurship with like as startups more or less. So the goal for us was not just to build another development shop, right, and just like follow the same path everyone else did. And we were really thinking about, well, how do we go into a market that is so overly saturated and really separate ourselves apart? And that's when we kind of came up with the fixed cost, fixed timeline product development. We guarantee a price um, and a timeline for the customers. And let's say we guarantee uh, a product at four weeks and it takes us five weeks. Uh, we would take the hit and we do take the hit and, you know, they don't have to worry about, you know, another invoice with another markup. So the, the entrepreneurs have the comfortability and ease of mind knowing that they're going to get what they're promised. And I think that's why people enjoy the experience so much is that um, expectations are in complete alignment and everything is really transparent. So there's no like, hey, God shoes. Uh, there's no retainer after product is built. We try and build all the products to be as autonomous as possible so they can make tweaks on the fly without having to come 
twist for everything and, and penny pinch. Um, so it's very non-traditional in the way um, that that we do things, and it's most certainly in the business model because the fixed cost business model is incredibly volatile, right? Because you have variable profit, and if something screws up, you don't just say, "Oh, well, that was an extra four hours. I'm going to bill you another four hours." No, like. It's it's really hard to execute, and I'd like to say uh, our we're success. S- we're still learning. I mean, we, yeah, we are always still learning. But so far, it's been kind of a testament to the ability to execute on our part because we, you know, we talk to this individual about their product idea. Um, we kind of have it scoped out on a document, and we say, "Hey, just looking at this document, we guarantee we can do this product at this price and this timeline. Do you want to start?" They say yes, and we kick it off. Um, and again, it's very scary doing that because. Um, obviously, if a four-week product turns into five and six and seven weeks, um, it becomes a really bad business model really, really fast. Yeah, we've definitely underscoped our projects before and, and stayed up late to pay for it. Have you ever realized that you know a project's actually gone uh, under budget or over budget, and that's disrupted the the time frame that you have to deliver? Yeah, so. Um, it, it certainly comes with its like situations and scenarios sometimes, but in in every case we've weathered that storm really well because uh, one of the things we really pride ourselves on is transparency. Um, so even when we deliver the scope of works and we have the price there, the, the price is broken down or the scope is broken down into sections, and each section has a price and timeline. So it's not just one big lump sum. It's that they understand where the price and time is going towards, and we allow them to kind of like modularize their product. Um, and in, in the event where something is under budget and it goes over time, uh, we do take the hit because, again, that was a lack of foresight on our end, so we don't put that burden on the client, um, and I think they appreciate us for that. And, um, again, in, in light of transparency, we just let them know, hey, uh, like we did not foresee this happening, or we underscored this is actually a little more difficult, it's going to take another week and a half. And in every case, I think because we've been clear and transparent up front before the fact, that they've all said, okay, that's fine. No worries. And again, you're getting a product in four to six weeks, right? So what's another week, two weeks? Uh, most of them are like, that is perfectly fine. That is like 12 months faster than I would have gotten it anywhere else. We spent years on our first failed startup, and it wasn't... It was, I think money was the main thing. Yeah. And so there's no surprise in that end when you're, when you're funding something yourself. It's nice that the $5,000 or $10,000, whatever you budgeted for yourself, is doesn't increase by any more so and, and and that's the thing is when you're a startup you're an entrepreneur right like you have a budget set aside and you work on a really tight budget so you can't afford something to just go up you know 20 percent 30 percent 40 percent of what you thought it would be um you know we fortunately uh the brand name has has become kind of a household name on the east coast now that we're dealing with a lot of uh, angel and vc backed companies but uh we still deal with a lot of kind of you know one to four person founding teams that are bootstrapping it and it's it's a godsend to them that they know that they have this budget set aside and that they can afford this product and that they're you know going to get that product for that price and not have any like gutches Great. Well, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, shout out to my mom and Mike's mom for supporting us uh, and helping out when we yeah. were... Notion theory. <laughs> spent years <laughs> learning how not to do a startup. So 
so we can so teach we can. everyone else how yes. to do a startup. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, please come and talk to us if you have any questions. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. I wish you the best of luck with your business. You can reach them at notiontheory.com. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode. And thanks for listening.